Hi, it's Ashley, and this is the Kickash Life Podcast. Podcast family, I've missed you. And I'm going to tell you, because I think this world is so much better when we share with one another the bumpy roads and not just the smooth sailing. I recorded the entire intro and outro to this, and I went to send it to production, and I realized that I had not turned the microphone on. Total rookie mistake, but maybe I'm still a rookie, right? So I'm talking to you from a dark parking lot in my car with a microphone. My daughter is at volleyball practice, and so we're at this huge facility way up north of town in the Burbs. It's a whole thing. And I'm in the parking lot hanging with you. So let's do this, yeah? No excuses. We're here. And we're just going to pick it up and keep going. I was thinking today about a woman I once knew who had these two dogs. They were labs. And she would clap her hands and she'd say, let's go, let's go. And she was always so joyful and encouraging. But she was also insistent. There was going to be no lolly gagging. Like, let's get on with it. And her phrase stuck with me. So sometimes I talk to myself like she talked to her dogs. Like, come on, Ash, let's go, let's go. And that was this week. I had a few interviews lined up with some really special folks. And for whatever reason, things just kept falling through. And that happens. So I went back to the archives, back to a series of conversations that I recorded a while ago, maybe almost two years ago, back when I very briefly owned a wine shop in downtown Panama City, Florida. And if you want to know more about that magical place and the people in it, that brief, beautiful, and also brutal time of my life, check out episode two with Carrie Honecker. She is this deeply thoughtful and curious freelance writer who covers food and wine and travel and culture, all the good stuff. And then episode 12 with Sarah Griffith, who is an artist, muralist. She's a blogger and this vibrant creator whose art is all over the walls of Panama City. I'll put links in the show notes. These are such rich conversations And I want you to know these incredible women, these incredible humans. And so in this episode, it's a throwback, but I sit down with Bill Davenport. And Bill's company actually runs multiple farmer's markets in Florida. Among these, Bill runs the farmer's market in downtown Panama City, Florida, in a little magical place called McKenzie Park right next to where the wine shop once was located. And I can still remember Bill coming in at the close of Saturday markets. He's a very tall man. And like my great granddaddy, Bill wears overalls and work boots. And he always had a straw hat and one seriously hella cool beard. And Bill would grab a bottle of Moscato and a charcuterie box to go. And he would tip his hat to us on the way out. He's just a gentleman, an all-around great guy. And so if you've ever been curious about how a farmer's market works, 
tune in. Also, I'll drop links. You can even watch the farmer's market in action on YouTube and various ways that Bill shares the stories of the market. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. But Bill's story is so much more than that. It's about business ownership and leadership and empathy, communication and compassion, oh, all the C's, collaboration, community. It's so good. Anyway, just listen and you'll see or you'll hear what I mean. And listening back to this interview now with some time and space, I have to say, I'm just, I'm trusting the timing because there were some messages in this conversation that I needed to hear. And I'll share some thoughts with you on the other side of this. So let's go, let's go. And quick reminder, I'm going to tell you again at the end, shop local. It really really matters. All right, here we go. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you um, because Bill is the market manager for the historic downtown Panama City Farmers Market. And I have to tell you, Bill, that the whole reason that we chose to put Mother's Wine Market right here where we did is because it was next to McKenzie Park where you host the farmer's market and the energy and the fun that you create there and the community vibe is what had us completely sign on here in the first place. Awesome. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. So how long has the market been there? So we're going on uh, our second year here in downtown and uh, we started kind of out of a need when the pandemic was kind of rolling. Um, Florida was unique where we didn't stay closed real long compared to other states. But when we closed down the state initially trying to figure it out, farmers markets were affected. And then the governor came out and said, hey, farmers markets are an essential business. We want those open back up because they're outside. We can space out. And uh, we grew out of a need where other farmers markets weren't opening up. And so um, we wanted to bring something special to downtown and we got in touch with the right people and we're able to get a market going down here and it's just blossomed and really fit in nicely with downtown. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the vibe, the vendors are amazing. There's live music. Yep. There's I mean, community. There's something different every week that keeps it fresh. How do you even start a farmer's market? What goes into that? It doesn't just pop up automatically. It doesn't. Um, You know, I always, I love the analogy of it's like herding cats. There's a lot behind the scenes. Um, You you definitely got to, I think running a farmer's market is more of fitted for like servant leaders. Um, You got to be a leader to be able to kind of say, this is the direction we we need to go. This is what we got to do. But you're also there to serve the community and you're there to serve the vendors. Um, you know, it's every Saturday we have anywhere from 80 to a hundred plus small businesses pop up and, and, you know, they're doing business all week long, but we're organizing them here in one spot. And that takes a lot of logistical support as far as coordinating who's going to be there, coordinating with 
vendor, you know, staying plugged in with the merchants downtown to see if there's other events going on. If there are, how can we assist with it? Or how can we even just stay out of the way of it so that we're not interfering? Because we don't want to be a hindrance to anything else going on downtown. So there's a lot of communication with the city, with the, the downtown improvement board, going to the merchant meetings or so there's an awful lot to coordinate. There is. There is. It's, you know, keeping track of who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. Because a lot of these vendors kind of, you know, for a, a lack of a better expression, they do the circuit. There's farmer's markets all over the state of Florida. So they'll, they'll kind of make a circuit. So you got vendors that pop in. You have the regulars that are here every week. You have some that kind of do every other week. So you're managing who's going to be here. You're trying to schedule with the musicians to get music out here, scheduling with food trucks to get food trucks out here. And each one of them has its own dynamics on scheduling. Vendors are kind of, you can schedule short notice on. Um, music's a little bit longer out. Most of them are about a month or so out. Food trucks are normally booked two months out. So you have different dynamics that you're trying to weave into one event. So it definitely keeps it fun. It keeps you on your toes. How do you keep it straight? Like, What are your systems? Do you have systems um, in place? Uh, my hair on fire. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think I'm blessed. I, I'm a retired Navy chief um, and in the Navy as, as a Navy chief, you're a non-commissioned officer. So you're running the deck plates or you're, you're, you're running the workspaces. And so you have, you're in charge of a lot of people making sure that the commander's mission happens. So I think a lot of that transitions over well to this. So I kind of already had a, a background in training in the organization and being able to kind of say, hey, this is, the, you know, I equate it to a military where this is the mission that we have to accomplish that Saturday. How do we put the right pieces in place through the week? You know, who do we need to contact? When do we need to contact it? You know, contact folks and then put it together. So it's definitely been a blessing being retired military because that's definitely helped with the organization on my end to get the market going. Yeah, and in leadership too, because I've met your team, I've worked with your team. Those guys are awesome. Absolutely, they're the best. They're so committed. They're so kind. How do you instill that sense of mission in them? Um, Communication. I think, you know, it all boils down to communication. You know, we kind of do, we don't call it an after action, you know, report or anything like that. But normally after the markets, we kind of, after we break it down, we'll get together and we'll have kind of, Hey, what did you see out there? What What do you think went really well today? What do you think went bad? Did you see anything that maybe we need to improve? So, you know, we take it all in collectively. A lot of the stuff, sometimes we have to do it the way we do it. And, you know, we're kind of stuck on a right and left lateral limit. So we, we don't have a lot of wiggle room, but there's a lot of stuff in there. We have the luxury to be able to change or, or at least try to change mm-hmm. to make it better. So, you know, there's two goals. There's how do we make the market the best for the community? while balancing how to make the market the best for the vendors, you know, and sometimes those two goals don't always align, but I would say probably 90% of the time they do align. So, so it's a pretty easy transition to get going to providing a great community resource. I love it. I want to talk about community first and then vendors and how that works. So from a community standpoint, how do you see the market survey? I know what I see yeah. as, as a member of the downtown community, but how does it play into what's happening down here in terms of the revitalization that we see happening? I think it's it's a, a definitely a, a good piece of that, that puzzle of the revitalization down here. 
I can tell you when I first got stationed, uh, I retired from, from Panama City Beach from the naval base over there. Um, and I live here in, in Panama City and downtown when I got here was kind of a ghost town on the weekends there. And this was pre-Michael and this was before the hurricane. Before the hurricane. You know, there just wasn't a lot of options going on. And you know, there's all I think there's always blessings and tragedy. You know, there I mean tragedy is a bad thing, but there's a lot of growth and good stuff that comes out of that. I think Michael, there was a lot of people kind of poised in the right places doing laying good groundwork. And Michael kind of spurred that and said, all right, hey, we, we need to go forward and we need to start making something happen. And and I, you know, and, and luck plays into it. I think the market lucked into being a, a good piece for, for everybody downtown at the right time. And, and we blossomed because of that. So I, I think we enjoy, we love being a part of the community down here. We love seeing the weekends now. It's, you know, I think downtown has become now where people come Saturdays. I mean, you see the same people, you see a lot of new people. I was the words getting out, but you know, people say, Hey, Saturday mornings, we're going to go downtown. We're going to go to the market and check it out. We're going to go to Millie's and eat. We're going to go to the place or history class. And then we're going to go get a beer at, at house of Henry's. You know, it's like everything happens. They're going to come over here and, and try some wine here at mother's wine and, you know, buy some wine. And yeah. So almost created like its own little ecosystem on the weekend down here. And I love it. Like, you know, running other markets, every market has its own personality. I absolutely love the personality of downtown and how we blend into the community. It's a great, it's got so much energy. It's vibrant. It's fun. I love the spillover from the market. Saturdays are my favorite day to be uh, here because folks do, they come to the market and then they stop by mothers and they've got their bags of vegetables or whatever yeah. they've picked up at the market and they sit with us and have a glass of wine. Yeah. It's just, and then they'll mosey on down the road for lunch somewhere. Yeah. It's just great. It's great. It is. I, I, I love it. And I, you know, I, I love how much it's becoming a part of people's weekend. It's like, Hey, Saturday, we're going downtown. And, you know, as more people come down here, the words getting out and the traffic and it, it's, it's just, it really is uplifting and warming to see everybody come down here. I love being a part of it. Thank you yeah. for creating it. Oh, absolutely. All right. From a vendor standpoint, I'm curious about this because I have a couple of friends who have launched incredible products starting at a farmer's market. Yep. My friend Steve does these really great dog treats that um, from 38 Barks yeah, yeah. that Apollo yep. loves. Um, I have a friend out um, on the West Coast who launched a CBD company, mm -hmm. CBD Fountain, which is incredible. Susie did a great job with that, but they started at farmer's markets. Yep. And then built companies off of that. So what would you say to a vendor who wants to do that? He's growing a brand. So I would say farmer's markets are a great place to start because I, I think the, the brass tacks uh, of it, when you get down to it, a lot of people that want to be an entrepreneur don't necessarily know what it takes to be an entrepreneur or they're not really sure that's the avenue they want to go. So I think, you know, the, the barrier to entry is very is lower than other other areas to get into a farmer's market. Now you still have to, you know, if you're a food product, you still got to go through the health department and your food services. Like, like you're not skimping, skimping laws. If you're a baker, you go under the, the cottage food laws, you know, to make sure you're labeling and what you, what you're cooking is appropriate. Everybody has to, you know, still collect taxes. So you're doing all the stuff 
a business does. You just don't have the overhead. You know, the market is your overhead. That's what we take care of. But you learn how to communicate with with customers. You you start learning how how do I create an inventory? Am I creating enough? You create a budget. You do all that, and and you have a mixture of a lot of vendors that take off. And I love seeing the vendors that graduate you know i say it's like graduating school you know they they graduate and they go on to a brick and mortar or or you know they team up with somebody and they start start a business absolutely love it i love seeing sometimes people say hey i just want an online store and, and but this has prepared me for that and they started so i think success from a farmer's market is different for everybody else you know my success isn't necessarily yours and the next person's but I love seeing it growing. Some people are just like, hey, I'm on, I'm an elderly person. I'm, you know, I just need a little extra income to supplement. And I do this part-time and and this is perfect for them. So on a vendor standpoint, I think it's it's a low barrier to entry. It really kind of gets your feet wet and, and it it allows you the flexibility to try stuff out that you might not be able to when you go into a brick and mortar. So I think it's a it's a great learning ground for potential entrepreneurs. That is really cool. Now you are an entrepreneur yourself, Correct. right? You have a coffee company. Yes. Tell me about it. So I, I own Anchor Coffee and Roast or a small batch um, uh, coffee roastery. We import the beans, we develop our own blends and we do our own roasting. I distribute coffee out to all 50 states. I don't have a store locally. That's not really my business model of, of wanting to have a coffee shop. I'm more of a coffee purist, so I love just coffee. I'm not big into the cappuccinos and the macchiatos and frappuccinos, so no, nothing against them. But that's I've had your cold brew; it's good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, and that's you know the, the the flavors and stuff we do is based off of you know the extraction of the flavors out of the beans. So um, we I started in farmers markets. One just kind of the same thing. Of, of it's just something I really want to do. I had a passion for it. I had a desire to do it. But it allowed me a lot of flexibility. And on the other side of it, doing a farmer's market in a small way allows me to get my brand out locally, too. So without having a storefront, we're able to say, hey, we have a coffee. And this is kind of what we do. And and a lot of it is just education on coffee because a lot of folks don't know. Kind of like wine. You know, wine, I think, has like depending on the grape, the extraction process, there's over 250 notes or, you know, flavors you can get into that wine. I mean, not all 250 of those notes are favorable. Right. Um, but I mean, that's a wide deal. Whereas coffee, there's over 800 notes you can extract from the coffee, depending on if it's a robusta bean or an Arabica bean, how you roast it, where it's grown, the microclimate that it's in. So it's, it's, a, it's a very unique item, just like the grapes are for the wine. And, and I love to talk to people and let them know, you know, Beans grown here kind of have these type of flavors. Beans grown this way has more caffeine or less caffeine in it. Um, That's cool. How did you get into this? um, Just from my mom. My mom loved coffee. I grew up loving coffee. I grew up on a a farm in Kansas. So it just kind of worked farm drinking coffee and then when i got to the navy we operate on on coffee mm-hmm. and uh and i i learned very very soon and then early on in the navy that they had bad coffee yeah and it made me really appreciate good coffee and, and I, I was fortunate to be around folks that um they didn't roast coffee but they bought really good coffee and we kind of started co-opting together to get good good coffee in and then that led to roasting and then that led to 
wanting to start a business in, in the coffee roasting field. I love how you came full circle yeah. from a farm in Kansas to doing the farmer's market and the coffee and doing something you and your mom both really enjoy. Yep, absolutely. That is cool. What would you say, I mean, now you, you dove headfirst into entrepreneur life, yep. it sounds like, but once you left the military, Correct. what would you say to somebody who is thinking about leaving corporate or the military and taking on an entrepreneur space? I guess it, it would break down to a couple of things. Embrace the fear. I think a lot of people, when they get, you know, um, the unknown, the uncertainty of not having a safety net of, of a known job or a known income coming in, it scares a lot of people. Whether we outwardly say it or not, fear is a, is a huge, huge driving force on decisions. Embrace it. You know, I embrace it and go forward. If it's something you, you love to do, even if you fail, do it because there's lessons to be learned in failure. And that, and that may not be, well, I'm going to go do the same thing I want to do, but it might have opened other doors to other passions and other loves you want you could do. So harness that fear, embrace it and, and, and enjoy the process, go forward and, and do what you love. So I think, you know, the, the full circle when you, when you head in, jump into it, it's, you just embrace the process, you know, and embrace the fear and enjoy the little victories along the way. You know, and if I think they say something like either 80 or 90% of like most small businesses when they start up fail. So it's a part of the process. It's not an exception to the rule. I mean, it, it, at that high of a percentage rate, it's pretty much a rule. At some point along the line, you're going to fail. A lot of it is don't be afraid to adjust because if you fail here, no doesn't necessarily mean no. No just means, you know, in, in, in a business sense, it means that the way you're doing it might not be the right way to do it. But to get to what you're trying to do, it just takes a different approach or a different avenue. So, yeah, it's course correcting. It is. Right. I mean, yeah. So I dove into entrepreneur life about two years ago, leaving corporate and the fear is real yeah. for real. But you hit this point right? where I can't imagine doing anything else. It yeah. called to me so strongly that I didn't have a choice but to give it a shot. Yeah. And I definitely have um, I failed forward. Mm -hmm. I've learned some things and course correcting is all about having that conversation, yep. right? This isn't working. Why isn't it working? And staying curious about that. Right. I think humility and, and, and being true to yourself. Right. We know people that how they do business and then who they are away from business. And it almost seems like Jack, Jack and Hyde, they're two different mm -hmm. personalities. I think it's big in business. People pick up on genuine, like people being genuine and people being true themselves. I think that's a huge thing in business. Well, you have to stay aligned with if your business isn't aligned with who you are. You're right. Folks see right through it. You can keep it going for a little while, but eventually the mask is going to come off. Right. I will say about entrepreneur life, it has really made me dig deep in terms of soul searching and yeah. knowing who I am and how I want to show up and how I want our business to show up. Yep. And it is a journey. It is not for the faint of heart. It's not, it's not you. you and that's why, you know, I always say embrace the fear. It's kind of something in, in the Navy as a, as a chief, we were taught, you know, you have to execute the mission. Well, the worst thing you can do, as a leader, and I believe this is true in any business, 
when you have to do something and you freeze and you get paralyzed and because of the fear, because of the unknown, the uncertainty, everything's going to unravel around you because you're not doing anything. You can make the wrong decisions as long as you're moving. You know, if you move in the wrong direction, it's easy to still move in correct course. But if you just freeze, bad things happen all the way around. So bad decisions aren't necessarily career enders, you know, or, or for, for there, it's, it just means, like you said, a, a course correction. But if you're not making moves whatsoever, you can't enjoy, uh, adjust course because you're not moving. You're this just paralyzed. So true. Yeah, this so. is true. What else do you take from military life? I mean, uh, there's a lot of military bases down here. I grew up over in Pensacola. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I, I love that our community is steeped in military life. And so what would you take away from that, that you would, in addition to what you shared for entrepreneurs, is it, is it the way you organize things? Is it a mindset? Is it what? I, I think it's, it's an organization thing. Um, you know, you don't have to be like super OCD organized, mm-hmm. um, but you gotta, you gotta kind of group stuff. You, you you got to learn, learn to organize. You got to learn to prioritize, you know, in the military, there's all types of different leaders. You know, I used to love to tell my sailors, we need to do a, B and C today. A is our first thing we have to do. That's the most pressing, but B and C it's up to you guys. You know, you guys figure out how you want to prioritize. If you want to do C first and then B because it's easier for you, or if you want to tackle on B and C it's on you, but it teaches people how, how to say, all right, let me assess the situation and let me prioritize what's most important, you know, on down to what's least important. I think that's a, a valuable skill. A lot of people get stuck and they see the five things on the list and they're like, oh my gosh, there's <laughs> yeah. five things on the list. Well, how do you eat an apple one bite at a time? So you take all five of those things and you say, all right, what's the most important? And then you you, you learn to prioritize it. It's a, it's a skill that I think a lot of people don't utilize. Well, it's a skill. It takes practice. It, does. it doesn't just happen overnight. I know this. Yep. Yeah. And, and and that's how you do it. You just keep doing it. Just like leadership. Leader, no very few people, you know, I won't say no one, but there very few people are, are a born leader. It's a trial and error. You learn the leader that you are in the beginning isn't going to be the leader that you are. Uh, on on your end days it's it, you evolve you learn you, you learn from good people you learn from bad there's just as much valuable lessons from watching bad leaders as there is from learning from good leaders so so it evolves and, and that's kind of as an entrepreneur you you got to just take it in and learn don't be afraid to try stuff yeah. um so i think from the military there's a lot of we have to do stuff a certain way, but there's a lot of flexibility in there. Organization's good, but no one grows if you don't give them enough rope to, to get into trouble. I mean, yeah. you learn those lessons when you're in trouble. Hopefully you just don't get in too much trouble. <laughs> I like that. You know, another thing about leadership, and I'm curious about this because I did big, nasty litigation for mm-hmm. 20 years. I like bet the company type of stuff. So I fought for a living I got for you. 20 years. And so I'm, I continue to be very curious about conflict and how people yeah. deal with conflict. And I imagine as a leader, you yeah. have to learn how to deal with conflict. And particularly in the market, when you're dealing with that many people, you're dealing with a, yeah. a whole mass of humanity. How, what have you learned about dealing with conflict? Uh, communication. I, I, I would be lying if I said there aren't certain nights that, that, you know, I stay up with a little bit of anxiety, I think from stuff in the market, whether it's stuff I'm dealing with 
with a vendor or on stuff I'm dealing with as I'm marking on how, you know, to, to flow and be a piece of downtown. I try not to let it get to the point where, where it's that anxiety and I lose a little bit of sleep, but I think a lot of it is having clear expectations. You know, as a market, when we run our markets, I would say most of my vendors know what the expectation is of the market and that we're, you know, how we fit into being a, a community resource. So, and they also know what my expectations are as a vendor of what I expect and whether it be their setup, their teardown, their cleanliness, their, you know, whatever the rules are is to have clear and defined expectations. And then communication. There's always, you know, that's kind of that balance where early on I said, you know, there's the expectation of the market and the expectation of the vendors and they don't necessarily always line, align up as humans, you know, and I'm guilty of it. Sometimes we're lazy. We want to take the easy way out. So, you know, I don't want to have to park over here and lug my stuff this way when I knew I should have probably brought a cart to be able to get over there. So, you know, and, and that's an easy one to rectify. We can borrow carts, you know, but sometimes people don't see it. They just, you know, and even me as a market manager, sometimes I have to step back from it and say, all right, let me look at it, you know, get a look, let my head clear and let me look at it because even though our goals don't necessarily align 20% of the time, that doesn't mean that their concern is any less valuable than what my concern is for the market. So a great point is honoring yeah, where so somebody it, is. It's yeah. trying to figure out, can we do what they need and still be in alignment with what we need to do? Or can we shift and, and, and give a little bit over here and still help and support them? So, you know, it's, it's the empathy, understanding where they're at, what, what their their need is, communication, and then clear clear and defined expectations on both parts. You know, so I write contracts for clients and I tell them often why a contract is a relationship builder. If you're really clear on the front end, it preserves the relationship going forward. It's so imperative that clarity really goes so far. I'm curious where you were, how um, Hurricane Michael affected you. So Hurricane Michael was actually a real doozy for us. Um, I was in the process of retiring. I was going on to terminal leave to kind of get my last little vacation before I retired. Michael hit. I had a child that was coming due. Oh. So my wife was pregnant. I was in the process of retiring and having to cancel my retirement and just walk out the door because everybody was displaced. And, and I kind of felt like if I had a retirement ceremony, then that would have been selfish of me because everybody else was still dealing with the ramifications of Michael. Mm-hmm. Our house was severely damaged. Um, it was unlivable. So we bounced around for, for quite a while uh, between like Eggland and Herbert Field and and out Fort Walton Beach at different rentals and for short term periods for like five to 10 days at a time, just trying to fit in until we were able to find a long term rental, which ended up being over in Niceville. Wow, um, that's a waste. Yeah, okay. So yeah. you've gone from Eglin and Herbert Field, which for the uninitiated yeah. here are military bases yes. to all the way out to Niceville. Yep. And we ended up staying in Niceville for I want to say a year and a half, almost two years while we were dealing with the the gamut of 
contractors and insurance and lawyers and back to insurance to try to get the house and then shoddy work to, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit, we didn't, we were, you know, again, blessed because we didn't have to deal with a lot of the stuff I've heard other people deal with, but we still had our own problems that, you know, we were dislocated from our house and, and the distance of trying to be here and dealing with the, the contractors and the insurance while still being over there. Created its own little, little deal, but we were excited and, and wanted to get back into Panama City. Yeah, and it displaced a lot of folks, and then housing was a real issue because was there was horrible. nowhere to go. Yep. And not only, you know, not everybody, but there was a lot of folks that capitalized on the situation because there was a big mass exodus of people out of Panama City looking for, for places to stay. So prices went up. It's yeah. kind of that supply and demand where, you know, $1,500 rental just went up $2,500 because it could. People were, we were in need of a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And the the interesting thing for me and the hard thing to see is that it's been three and a half years, but you can literally turn a corner anywhere in Panama City and run into wreckage, yep. twisted metal, broken windows, just wrecked Tree buildings. Snap, yeah. Yeah. Um, takes a long time for a community to come back from something like that. But I think from what I have seen here, it really has brought people together. Yep. And what you're doing in the farmer's market is is helping rebuild a community and bring vitality to a downtown area that maybe wouldn't have had that little energy boost, yep. right? But for the hurricane. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, like a safe place. It's I, it's a happy place, you know, and, and it's, we love it. You know, even if people don't, don't buy, which we absolutely support, you know, Hey, if you're going to go to the farm market, please buy, um, you know, <laughs> support <y'all>. local, <laughs> but if you don't just come out and enjoy it, you know, mm-hmm. even if you just buy a bag of popcorn for you and the kids from the kettle corn vendor, when you're here and just walk around and enjoy the music and, and the ambiance of the, the market, you know, we want it to be a happy place. We want it to be a place where when people come here, you leave with smiles and not tears when you come to the to the farmer's market. Oh, my gosh. You, you can't walk into the farmer's market and not smile. Yep. For real. It's it's just great. So, you know, if you're, you happen to be local, come on down to the farmer's market. If you're not, if you, you know, live in Oregon or you're listening yep. from New York City, then Make it make a trip. Come on down and visit us. This yep. is a great place to hang out. So I'll, I'll tell you a, a neat little story. You talked about Oregon. Yeah. You know, there's so one of the things that I absolutely love about the farmers market is there are so many little stories. You know, and they're community stories that you know most people probably will never hear. I keep telling myself one of these days I'm going to start kind of doing like Facebook lives or, or you know a podcast to tell the stories for yeah. for the vendors and. Um, but we had a, a young gentleman come and uh, his mom came and found me at the market. And this was probably about three months ago. And uh, she came down and, and she's like, hey, I just want to let you know, we're we're from up north. And the only reason we took our vacation to Panama City is because of your farmer's market in downtown Panama City. And I said, well, that's like bonkers. Like, that's cool. Like, how did somebody in Pittsburgh, you know, yeah. decide you're going to come down and you, and you based it off of the farmer's market? And her son ha- has an illness. And while he was um, down, he was looking through Facebook and just watching different lives and, and different uh, series on there. And he stumbled across the 
the Panama City farmer's market. And he loves like herringbone brick design and different brick design. He absolutely loves it. And he loved in Gateway Park and in McKinsey Park, the brickwork on the fountain, the brickwork on the walkways and the brickwork on on the old busted fountain that's over in McKinsey. And he absolutely loved it. And he he told mom, he's like, hey, when we come up on our next vacation, I would love to go to Panama City. And I want to go to that park. I want to go to that market that's always doing their lives Mm -hmm. on Saturday. And I want to see, check out the brickwork and check out downtown. And sure enough, they planned their vacation and they came down here and they found me and they were like, hey, we just want to let you know it was because of your lives at the farmer's market. We were you know, we, my son fell in love with the brickwork and, and all the, the beauty of down here. And we planned our vacation around it, which is really cool. That just made me so happy. Yeah. That is really neat. Yeah. And I will say that park, McKenzie Park and the brickwork, it's special. I still yeah. remember the first time I drove up. It was in a February evening and the sun was setting and it was drizzling rain out. But that fountain was going with the lights yeah. and the and I just, something said, you need to be here. This is a special place. It is. And here we are. Yep. It's, are. Uh, it definitely is magical. Like I said, I could probably spend a day telling, you know, neat little stories like, like that, you know, but when you boil it down, it's just, it's a great, great place to spend the weekend down here. That's a true fact. So I love a farmer's market. And one of my favorite things to do is to get to know the vendors, really spend time asking them, not just about their product, but how they ended up there and what they, I mean, you will hear some of the neatest stories. So, yeah. Well, well and there was one from this weekend. I'll just uh-huh. tell oh, another little story. So yeah. um, we have a newer vendor. She hasn't been, been at our market very long. She's been there for less than a month. But she does quilts. She does quilts and, and a little bit of crochet. But her her main it, main uh, gift is she does quilting. So she makes these small quilts for like little kids all the way up to adults. And uh, she's an elderly lady, and she does she makes these little gift baskets and, and it's some really neat stuff. Well, she had a lady come up this weekend, actually this Saturday downtown, and she was like, "Hey." And she lives just north of here in Lynn Haven. And she was like, hey, I have this old quilt that like her great, great, great grandmother or some, okay. one of the great, great grandmothers had made. And it was made in the Civil War. And she has it. And it's got a little bit of damage. And she was like, I've been looking all around for somebody to repair this because the backing on the quilt needed to be repaired. And she goes, but, you know, because it's such an old piece and, and it's, uh, you know, very important. It has a lot, a lot of, you know, value to it. Mm-hmm. So it got appraised in the condition that it's in. It's like almost $300,000 oh quilt from the civil war that was in a family. And she's like, I love your quilt work. Like I've examined how you do it. I've been talking with you and all this. She goes, I would love you to come to the house look at this quilt and I want you to repair the backing and fix it if you can. So, you know, it's a little story like that's a great piece of history on a family that goes all the way back to the civil war on a quilt. That's an heirloom passed down to the family that one of our vendors is potentially going to be able to help restore. So more generations can cherish that piece. That's amazing. Community and connection. It's really where it's at. That is cool. All right. One last question for you. I asked this question at the end of, our, our podcast every okay. time. Yeah. So um, you might be a local if like, what is it that locals know that I'm, I'm not originally from here yeah. and, and I'm only pretty new to the community. So what do I need to know? Where do I need to go? What's the thing? Um, you might be a local if you love Shell Island. Okay. Um, you know, so a lot of people come down, 
you, you hear the big spots of like Crab Island over in Destin, or you could do a lot of stuff, but if you kind of want that same atmosphere, but off the beaten path a little bit, mm-hmm. go to Shell Island. It's right here in our backyard. You don't have to deal with the traffic uh, of 98 heading through through San Destin and Destin to get over there. It's right here. If you own a boat, you can go right right across the bay to it. Um, if you don't, there's a lot of shuttles that go over there that are really cheap and they'll drop you off and spend the day. So you get the one side of the island, you get the bay. The other side, you get the ocean, and it's a beautiful island. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, Shell Island is probably a lot of locals know it. A lot of people that come down here kind of know about it, but I think it's one of our best hidden gems in the area. That sounds so great. I'm going to have a really hard time not shutting down work today and just heading yeah. out there right now. Yeah, it yeah, it's, it's beautiful, especially right now when the, we've had finally the rain has stopped and we're not getting blown either up to Canada or down to Cuba. Like yeah. the weather is perfect right now. So. <sighs> amazing. Yeah. Okay, it's on the list. Yeah. All right. So where can folks find you if they want to find out more about the farmer's market, more about your coffee? Where where do they find you? Um, so the easiest way for um, is to go to our website, anchoredmarketventures.com. That lists all the farmer's markets that we do um, and we post updates. Um, while you're there, if you want to stay even more connected, um, you can sign up for our newsletter. We send out newsletters about every week to two weeks with all our vendor updates and, and, and highlights and all that. Or you can go and follow us on Facebook. We have Facebook and Instagram under Anchored Market Ventures, and, and we post everything um, on the markets and the Panama City Farmers Market also. Can we get your coffee that way? Oh, so so the coffee, um, right now our website is down, but when it's back up, it's going to be uh, anchoredcoffeeandroast.com. Anchoredcoffeeandroast.com. Yep. Yeah, we're, we've we've had some issues with the website, so we're we're working on some hosting issues, but it's going to be back up, and that's where you can follow us as on that website. That's entrepreneur life, right? Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's always something. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Absolutely. being with us today. No, thank you so much. I think this is this is awesome. That's special, right? Because Bill has this incredible balance of confidence and humility. It's a rare gift. It is a gift of leadership and it's admirable. And I think there's so much to be learned from a man like Bill. So here are the takeaways. Bill speaks of, number one, servant leadership, of running a business that is of service to the community and to the vendors and all who participate. Such a beautiful concept. And it's really, really working for Bill because the farmer's market is going strong and it's a, it's a special place. I love how Bill seeks to instill a sense of mission in his team. So he says, if this is the mission for Saturday, what are the pieces that need to be put in place during the week? And then afterwards, communication, what worked well, what could be improved? He says, quote, we have the luxury to try to change and make it better. The luxury. I love that. Number three, bad coffee can really make you appreciate good coffee. Isn't that true of so many things? Like bad relationships can make you appreciate the good and bad moments can make you appreciate the good. Good coffee. That's where it's at. Number four, If you are starting a business, embrace the fear. If it is something that you love to do, 
do it. Even if you fail, there are lessons. Oh, there will be lessons. In small business ownership, Bill reminds us that failure is part of the process. Number five, Bill says, enjoy the process. Do what you love and enjoy the little victories along the way. Number six, and here's the part that I needed to hear with some distance, some time, some perspective. Bill said, in any business, when you freeze in the uncertainty, everything will unravel around you. When you freeze, bad things happen. And this was my lesson. When I took over a wine shop that was deeply underwater, I tried everything I knew to do, but at some point facing real, real financial distress, I froze. And if you've ever been in financial distress, I'm telling you, we're going to talk about all the things here. Then if you've been there, you know the fear and the anxiety that comes with that. And it can be so great as to completely stop you in your tracks. You freeze. And as Bill said, that's when things begin to unravel. On a related note to this concept of freeze that Bill talks about, last week I wrote about overthinking, the cure to which may be faith and works. I'll put a link to my Substack blog in the show notes. It's from a completely different angle, but I was thinking about it. Maybe this is a theme right now we're thinking about. So if you read it, let me know and tell me if you can relate. All right. Number seven, on moving forward, Bill reminds us, how do you eat an apple? You eat it one bite at a time. This is one of my favorite sayings, and he's right. This is how we start to regroup and rebuild and come back from failure one step, one moment, one action at a time. Number eight, if you go to a farmer's market, please buy Support local. This is so important. I, I didn't understand this until I was a small local brick and mortar business owner. It is so important that we support local, that we buy local, that we listen to the stories of the folks who are local. It's, um, it's really a beautiful thing. So number nine, let's go to this. What is the great thing about a farmer's market? It's the vendors' stories. They are so rich and multifaceted, and there's just nothing like it. There's actually, it makes me think of, there's another farmer's market I love over at the beach in a little different location, and there's a vendor there. He's a farmer, and he's got a stand. His business name, his actual LLC, is called Tomatoes That Taste Like Tomatoes. That's the name of his business. How good is that? And so when we're talking about stories, Bill and I talked about a couple. And one is my friend, Steve. He is a Florida Panhandle local and also a veteran who started the best dog treat company that I know. It's called 38 Barks. It's so good. My dogs love it. And if you like, find him online and he will ship you 
the most amazing dog treats. Another is my friend Susie, and she is in Bend, Oregon, and she started a CBD company called CBD Fountain, which sells you know CBD tinctures, things for your dogs, CBD gummies, also the most beautiful skincare. I mean, her skincare is just amazing. So good. There's this vitamin C moisturizer that I can't even stop talking about. But both of these folks started in a farmer's market and built from there, started to understand their products and test their products and talk to the customers at the farmer's market. So I'll put their information in the show notes along with Bill's information. But I'll wrap it up with this. Number 10, if you do happen to be in the area, do stop by the farmer's market or if you're in the panhandle, visit Shell Island. Bill is right. It is a hidden gem. It's a spot that locals know and love. And it's just beautiful. I'm almost hesitant to tell you about it, but yes, it's amazing. So I hope you enjoyed this. By all means, it is fall harvest right now. So go enjoy a farmer's market this weekend. Get to know the vendors, the farmers, the small business owners. Celebrate them and their stories. Buy something, shop local, and enjoy the simple moments. Dear listener, I wish you so many beautiful things in a life that is so full of highs and lows and triumphs and failures. May you find joy in the journey and true, deep, abiding friendships along the way. Subscribe, share all the things for the pod, and I will talk with you real soon.